This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Hey guys, this is Ian Happ from the Chicago Cubs. I'm excited to announce that my show, The Compound, is now part of the Blue Wire Podcast Network. Join me and my teammates, Dakota Meckis and Zach Short. This week, we welcome Cubs first baseman, World Series champion, Anthony Rizzo to The Compound. Check it out. Subscribe. The Compound on the Blue Wire Podcast Network. Blue Wire. Breaking news, LeBron is a Laker. This Clippers team will win a championship this year. Paul George, corner three. Yes, sir! Ryan has to put it up with the buzzer. Backs it in! <laughs> he backs in the three! And the Lakers win the game! What's good, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of the Battle for LA podcast, part of the Clutch Points and Blue Wire Networks. Uh, as usual, Tomer Zarli, your Clippers beat writer for Clutch Points here. Uh, Ryan Ward, as you can see, also here as well, Lakers beat writer. Uh, back in L.A., right? Yes, sir. Back in L.A. Well, uh, we got a special guest for you guys this week. Uh, this guy's been super busy, so he, he somehow found the time uh, to join us. Uh, Soon-to-be Grammy-nominated rapper, but also does some news breaking on the side. Uh, Chris Haynes, thank you for joining the pod. We appreciate it, man. No, it's all good, man. Y'all, y'all both y'all good? Family straight? We're good. So far, yeah. No complaints. It's good. Uh, So, I mean, I think we should just jump right into it. Um, You know, the biggest news of the week we have is uh, something that you broke as well. The the Kyrie Irving leading the inspiring, galvanizing conference call with with players around the league. What were you told about that call? How did that call go? Well, obviously, it was a call organized by Kyrie Irving. it was, let me see, it was a call that lasted about an hour and 40 minutes. Um, at one point, it had up to about 84 players on that call. Mm-hmm. Um, but basically, it was a call to allow for the players who felt like their voice wasn't getting heard um, throughout this process. It was, it was a platform for them to, to speak their mind. Um, you know, you had Mo Bamba from um, the Orlando Magic, Donovan Mitchell, the Utah Jazz, you know, young guys who, were you know didn't voice their their thoughts on what should happen and they had a lot of times um well I'll go back to this so when the players association approved the league's 22 team format um that's when a lot of players felt like damn like okay I I didn't get a vote like where was I I didn't hear anything about this you know I should I should be able to have a say so on if the league restarts or not in Orlando. Yeah. So this was the platform for giving to these guys to voice their opinion. And Kyrie Irving let it be known that call that, you know, his his preference was not to be in Orlando. He felt like there was a, a lot of things that need to be done uh, with the social climate the way that it is right now and racial injustice and the aftermath of the George Flood tragedy. He felt like there was more important things to be done, done than just uh, playing basketball. Um, Dwight Howard agreed with him on that call. 
Avery Bradley had sim- similar sentiment. Uh, I'm trying to think who else is on that call who felt that way. Carmelo Anthony felt that way as well. Mm-hmm. And so, um, you know, they're the minority. I just want to say that. But it was basically a call to give everybody who wanted to speak or who felt like they haven't been able to speak in the past to give them a platform to do so. Now, the way this came off to me was that a lot of players were sort of scared to speak out against the establishment because they weren't high name superstars, you know, like you name Mo Bamba, some of the other guys. Is that sort of how it was that they were afraid that no one echoed their sentiments and, and they just felt, okay, maybe I'll just keep quiet and just run with it. Yeah. I mean, that's natural. That's natural. When you, when you're a young cat, when you have, Mm -hmm. you know, let's just uh, talk about the the superstar call that I reported on a couple weeks back, uh, whenever that was Um, Chris Paul, LeBron James, Damian Lillard, Kawhi Leonard, um, Russell Westbrook. You know, I'm I'm leaving out some names, but you know, those guys ha- had a conference call, and um, at the end of the call, they they both agreed that it was in the league's best interest to get out there and play if the league could uh, establish you know safety precautionary measures. Right. And so, when you got players of that magnitude of that status, basically saying, you know, we need to play. The goal is to play. You know, it's going to be hard for youngsters such as Mobamba to and others to to go against that if they feel a, a different way. And that pla- that um that call was um uh, you know it, it was very productive. It was very productive with people players speaking their mind. Um, Al Farouk Aminu, um, he is somebody who who was really quiet, but he was really voicing his concern really? with going, and he was also uh, voicing his concern with with not going. And mm-hmm. but he was speaking out. And that was the that was the platform given to him. Do you think this is going to happen, no matter what? At this yeah, point? yeah. There's not enough opposition uh, for this not to for this season not to resume. You know, I, I understand the the big headlines that's going to be made is going to come from players who are against going, but there's mm-hmm. there's not enough of them um, mm-hmm. to to turn to turn the course back. And with that being said, you know, even Kyrie Irving, you know, after listening to his peers. Um, talk about um, the pros and cons of going. Um, you know, he said at the end, you know, after listening to everybody, he said at the end of the call that, look, I'm going to do uh, what, you know, my, my peer group say is the right thing to do. So mm-hmm. if, they, if, they, if everybody votes that we need to be in Orlando, then he, he said he would be in Orlando. So it was a good, you know, just a good, informative, communicative call. Um, and, uh, you know, it hasn't been that, it hasn't been that many players that get together in, in a call like that in a long time. And, and they stressed that numerous times during that conference call. So is there anything the NBA could do, you know, cause they, they're considered one of the more progressive leagues in, in the entire world. Um, is there anything they could do with their players, I guess, to, to combine their platforms, lift it up and, and bring more, 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 you know, exposure to this to this issue the social issues that we have right now especially with the black inequality right now yeah that's the next step and of course the league is going to um work something out with the player association and figure out the best avenues of of doing such you know there's going to be a big platform when the league returns you know everybody is everybody is thirsty for sports right now they're thirsty Mm -hmm. for an outlet thirsty for some form of entertainment and so um, they're going to have a big platform. The eyeballs are going to be on them, and they're going to be able to, to do do whatever it is that they agree to do. But, you know, go, going to go back to the point made by, you know, players who are against going right now, 
you know, they feel like with a league that's predominantly African-American, you know, why, why are we going over there in an isolated situation? Um, you know, basically, you know, stuck there for three, three months. If your team is that great, their team right. is that good, that can advance. Just feel like it's bad optics, especially what, what the black community is going through right, right. now. Mm-hmm. I've also heard that some of the, some of the players have issues with the, I guess the, the, Contenders, for example, will be going probably 40, 50 days without seeing family. And they're, they're, NBA is trying to keep that bubble strict, correct? Yeah, um, I can't, I can't um, think of the, the number of family members on top of my head that's going to be allowed. But they'll oh. be able to have um, their close family members, the, the ones that the, who they stay with. Oh. I'm not sure the number as of right now, but, you know, they'll be able to have close family with them. Uh, was, it, was it two? Was it two? No, nah, it can't be two. And it seems a that's bit low, but yeah, yeah, that's too low. It can't be too. Was that like the initial thing that people were saying too? I, I don't, I don't, I don't know. I remember hearing hearing too, um, but that's too low. Um, they, they'll have, they'll have, be able to have their clothes. I, I want to say they'll be able to have their household with them. Um, and I would okay. think, you know, there's some players who have a household of five or six kids. You mean to tell me that only two kids are going to be able to come? You, you yeah. know, so that's 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 not reasonable. That that's not going to happen at all. But I want to say I believe uh, family members could come aboard around August 30th. I could be mistaken, but I, I do believe that's around the date. I guess there will be fewer teams by then. Playoffs will be what second Correct. round by then. So Correct. okay, that makes sense. Another thing I wanted to ask about was because they have these player reps and there seemed to be a miscommunication here between, um, you know, getting everyone's approval, at least I, w- I want to ask about the long-term ramifications. Like are players fully informed or at least well-informed about the potential long-term ramifications of not playing this season? Um, well, definitely there's a significant amount of players who aren't informed. And, um, oh. you know, look, there was a point during that call where, Chris Paul jumped in because everybody was making uh, a big deal about the amount of players that were in that this call. Like I said, it was upwards of around 84 players. And at one point, Chris Paul had to step in and say, "Hey, you know, look, this is good. We want to we want this continue. We want this to continue to grow. We want to have this type of player engagement involvement moving forward in all the other meetings. Mm-hmm. But you have to remember, this is not even a fourth of the league. You know, so right. you have to keep it in perspective." And so with that being said, um, I get, I understand why, you know, there's some players that were complaining that, you know, I didn't have a right to vote. Like every player should have a right to vote. And I get that. I understand that. But every player is not actively engaged in making sure that they're up to date on the latest, uh, what's going on, whether that be CBA ramifications, BRI ramifications, Um, you know, they're just not up to date. And so do you, Hand over the league. Uh, the we we talking about the voting power and the voting process to 450 guys. When I mean I'm I'm not gonna throw a number out there. When it's a large amount of them don't don't even know what's going on. So right. I, I get I get why they wouldn't open it up to every single player. But um you know and and that's what again that it goes to you know the reason Kyrie ever felt like he had to um, put this conference call together. You know that they. they it wasn't a call whether we're going to take a vote or what we're going to do. It was just a call for people to, you know, air their concerns for young mm-hmm. folks to talk about, you know, what's concerning them because they usually don't get a, a voice and usually don't get a shot to, to talk. And Donovan Mitchell, you know, he spoke about his extension 
that he's up for this offseason. Right. And he felt like, you know, he, he, he leaned on the side of not going because he felt like um, going, going and playing Orlando, what if he hurts himself? Then he takes himself out of position to receive a max contract. And uh, he made it clear that he hasn't played five on five since the regular season ended. So, mm-hmm. you know, it, it, you have all these different positions, all these different concerns, whether they're team-wide concerns, league-wide concerns, or even individual concerns. But the point is they were given a platform to talk about that, and everybody just, you know, was able to just see where each person was coming from. Do you, do you think that uh, the news that came out this morning is going to have a big effect on the NBA with uh, Ezekiel Elliott getting the COVID? No, I don't think so because, you know, Adam Silver on the call he had with the players, I want to say it's probably a month ago now, he said expect there to be – he expects there to be positive um, COVID testing. Mm-hmm. Uh, he, he expects for players to test positive. And with that being said, he, he said that players – should expect it and be okay with moving forward and continuing the season along. And now, you know, they'll take that player away who tests positive, quarantine him, do whatever they have to do before he's inserted back uh, into the bubble. And so, you know, that, that was a warning Adam Silver gave over a month ago. So, you know, we, we will expect um, players to test positive. Uh, but I think, um, I think the league standpoint, I think they were looking at it like, well, we can handle that. You know, we expect that. But, you know, what if that player who tests positive is LeBron James? LeBron James. There's <laughs> a big know, name if, superstar, right? Yeah. You know, superstar player. You have to quarantine for him a certain amount. You know, that him being out quarantined during that time, you know, that can that can kill his team chances, you know, what right. if it's the playoffs. So, you know, that that that's the plan. That's the league. You know, that, that the the problem is, you know, Carmelo Anthony said this as well on the conference call. Like they don't have enough information to go on as far as what's going to be the protocol, what's going to be the limitations while they're down in Orlando. So that's why a lot of players are have not not even say a lot of players, but that's why some players haven't been able to commit themselves fully to going over there in Orlando because they just don't have enough information on what this is going to look like over there. So they think they're going to go there and kind of get trapped for a couple of months, potentially, with just totally limited things that they can do? And Well, I'll say this. I mean, as of right now, but, you know, they'll have a, they'll have a clearer picture of what they're facing, you know, once the league gets back to them on, you know, how things are going to look over there. But just as of right now, that's why, you know, a player like Carmelo Anthony is saying, look, I haven't been able to commit yet because – I don't know what it looks like. So the league has to get back to the players with a firm, firm protocol list on what this thing is actually going to look like on a day-to-day basis. Mm-hmm. Once the players get that in their hand, if they feel comfortable with it, you know, they'll go. If not, they won't. And another thing, guys, look, the league, this is not going to, you know, this is not going to be a situation where players are forced to go. If you don't want to play, that's going to, that's your personal opinion. And I, I personally respect either way, both ways. Um, but, you know, if you don't play, you don't get paid. And so as for the league standpoint and for the players, you know, they made it clear. You know, CJ McCollum made it clear. He said on the conference call that he voted no in a group chat to return yeah. to play. But he said the financial ramifications of not doing so as a league, as the, you know, for the players – it, it, it's going to be really – it's going to be seriously a a bad situation heading into the next CBA. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so, 
Yeah, I was going to say, because a lot of players, it seems like, are just – you can't fault them for not wanting to go. Um, and it also seems like the NBA is – it's just a fluid situation, like a day-by-day day day approach in terms of we're finding out new information about the bubble every day, it seems like, about, you know, Disney crew members not having to be tested. I think that was like a week ago. And it just seems like there isn't a concrete plan yet. And every, like, I think some players are finding out about this on Twitter like we are. Like everyone's just finding out at the same time. Well, you have to understand that the steps that were in play. I think when it, when it was reported about the um, – well, first of all, when it was reported about the owners approving this 22-team format, mm-hmm. and then the Players Association a couple of days ago agreeing to that 22-team format, that just meant that they agreed to that format. You know what I mean? There are other steps mm-hmm. in play now. Now there's, there's negotiations that need to be happening um, to reassure that the players do feel comfortable going over there. It's one thing to agree to the format, but that doesn't mean that they're agreeing to play right now under the mm. conditions. So that's where we're at. And like I said, there's not enough opposition, you know, in the player, you know, within the player, uh, within within the pl- group of players of 450 players. There's not enough opposition to say this thing is not going to happen. It, it's going to happen. There's there's too much money at stake. And, the, and I'm, I'm making this clear. This is strictly for financial purposes, period. Because if, the CBA wasn't up. If the if there wasn't a clause where the owners could rip up the CBA and start a new one, I would think most players will say, you know what, we're going to scrap this. You know, it's, it's not worth it. It's not worth it from a safety standpoint. And just from the timing of what's going on in our society, in our communities, as black players and black people, in, you know, as individuals, there's no point in going over it right now. There's, there's more serious things that needs to be addressed. So, in your opinion, what's the biggest hurdle preventing – uh, the NBA from returning right now. I mean, you said it, it's likely to happen. What's the biggest issue or hurdle that we have to get over to make that happen? Um, the biggest hurdle is that, you know, the league has to come up with their protocol, uh-huh. um, saying how 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 everything is going to play out over there in Orlando. The players have to see it and review it, if, and they have to decide on if they're comfortable with that. If they're comfortable with, um, like you said, you, you guys talked about it about we don't know if, Disney workers will be able to go in and out. You know, we don't, they don't know that, you know, that's a big, that's a big question that needs to be answered. Uh, Cause if they do, you know, from all reports, you know, the cases are spike, spiking, spiking, you know, time. in that area. Yeah. yeah. So that's, that's a big concern. We need, they need to know that. They need to know, okay, are Disney workers going to be able to go in and out or will they be quarantined and be, being in that campus bubble for that three month period. So things like that, that's it. So once the league comes um, back with their protocol and their mandate on what needs to happen, if the player, you know, the players feel comfortable with it, if they do, they'll approve it. But that's, that's the, that's the big hurdle. What are your thoughts on potentially being no fans in the stadiums for all of next season? I think that's going to happen. I mean, a lot can happen between now and then. But, yeah, no, it's it's a possibility. It's a possibility, and um, you know, Adam Silver w- raised that awareness in his conference call a month ago. The players, you know, echoed that again in their last conference call here with Kyrie Irving. It's definitely a possibility. You know, we you know we don't know what's going to happen. We don't know how how if the, we don't know if this COVID virus is going to spread. If it's going to peter out, we don't know anything about it, and so. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's hard to say, but you know, there there is. You know, the, the league is the league expects um, there to be uh, a lot, a significant portion 
of the season next season that won't include fans and that very well possibly could be all the next season what about this is kind of a question i think me and tomer both be wondering about what are they going to do with with us with media yeah so i was going to ask because because i mean you know you're in arenas ryan and i are both in arenas player access has sort of been a limited thing you know some teams try to limit how much media can, can get and then you know um you know, one-on-ones are, are hard to get as it is. And now with, with I'm guessing locker room access is going to be gone, obviously. Um, you know, even close contact is going to be probably forbidden. How do, you, how do you think that media is going to work now? Yeah, I don't know about, I don't know about how, how next season's uh, media availability is going to work. But as far as this Orlando, mm-hmm. this Orlando trip, you know, there was a report out there about there being a two-tier system um, right. for media who wants to cover the resumption of the season where tier one, they will actually be in the bubble and tier two media, they will be outside the bubble in Orlando and tier two media will only have access to the games. And, and that's it, you know, tier one, I think we'll have a little bit more access to the players, but still that's going to be limited compared to what we're used to, you know, during the regular season when things were considered normal. So I, I don't know beyond, beyond Orlando, I really don't know what that's going to look like because I don't know how severe this COVID is going to be six right. months down the road. Well, I thought this format makes a lot of sense, right? Having uh, reporters on a kind of a conference call with each player or whatever player they request, yeah. you know what I mean? Like maybe five players come up from each team after every game and talk yeah. just like so, this. The Pro Basketball Ride Association, they're, they're, they're negotiating with the league on figuring out the, the best protocol to – facilitate the media you know there, there's a lot of tough like, like a lot of tough situations that the pbwa has to consider as well as the league like you bring those two tiers out there right so it's going to be expensive it's going to be expensive right. it's going to be expensive imagine. to have somebody in the bubble because they have to get tested daily just like the players and then the tier two right they're still spending a, a significant amount of resources to cover this thing, even though they're not in the bubble where it's more expensive, but they're outside the bubble. They've still made the trip to, to be out in Orlando. Mm-hmm. They're still going to be there covering games live. Now the tricky part is the tricky part is going to be for a lot of media companies who can't even afford to get to Orlando, but you know, say for instance, say there's a publication that covers the Lakers, you know, well, Lakers are expected to go to distance. They're expected to play three months into that, to the, into that season. You know, what do you do for the publication that can't afford to go when they're still stuck at home? Does the NBA allow that publication to be on a, on a Zoom calls with all the other media in tier two? And mm-hmm. then if and if you're a tier two publication, how do you feel about that? You know, do you feel like you um you know you're paying a substantial price to be in tier two? You know, you should be paying to get this access and you should be, you know, like, what's the difference? You know what I'm saying? Like, I I need, you know, tier two may be like, you know, look, I paid to get, I paid to be here. I shouldn't be getting the same access as somebody who didn't pay. You know, Mm -hmm. it's it's a tough, tricky situation. And, um, well, Nish is totally going to pay for both me and Tomer to go there for three months. (laughs) And they should. And they should. 
Hey, sure. I, I expect y'all to be there, right? Tier one in the bubble. <laughs> hey, man, I wish it's gonna be tough though. I heard it'd be upwards of like fifty thousand for a reporter, for for, for a, a beat writer, a reporter. Are you kidding me? Seriously? Something like that for the entire trip. Oh man. Um, yeah, so it's just it's Orlando. It's it's you're on campus, so uh, and Disney World is opening back up, so I mean it's it's full steam ahead. I want to pause real quick to tell you guys about Bet Online. Right now, there's no shortage of action going on at our exclusive partner, BetOnline.ag. Sports are slowly making their way back, and Bet Online is leading the way with the best odds and lines for all UFC, NASCAR, boxing, and soccer matches. And if you need even more, they have simulated NFL, NBA, and UFC simulations all day, every day, live on their website. Looking for something else other than sports? Well, BetOnline has hundreds of casino games, poker tournaments, and prop bets you can check out. Just visit BetOnline.ag and use promo code BLUEWIRE for a free welcome bonus. That's one word, BLUEWIRE. BetOnline, your online wagering experts. Uh, Chris, I want to I get your thoughts on, because you have a powerful voice in, in, in the NBA community. When you see something like like George Floyd happen, I mean, and we we pretty much see it every day now. Like I think every time I've gone on my Twitter timeline, there's some some new video coming up, and I'm like, shit, like what the hell, man? This is just every it's an everyday thing. I mean, what goes through your mind? I mean, do you have kids? Yeah, I got kids. I got four daughters. Yes, four daughters. So yeah. yeah, what goes through your mind when you see that? Shit, what goes through my mind is you know that potentially could have been me. You know, I was you know I was arrested. Um, when was this? Like 2000 and 2010, 2014. I was with 2014. I'm in Portland, right? Like it's like a day before free agency. Uh-huh. And, um, I had just moved into this new house and I didn't know the area. I wasn't familiar with the area about how bad crime was or whatever in that area, but it's a day before the, the night before free agency. And so it's around 10 o'clock at night and I'm on my phone just getting prepared to, talking to sources, getting prepared. And so when I'm on my phone talking for an extended amount of time, I pace back and forth. So I decide like, look, I'm not going to wake everybody up my pacing and talking. So I'm going to go outside. And so I go outside and right across the street is a train track. It's a, what is they call that? What they call that? Yeah. The max train, the max Mm -hmm. train in in Portland. And uh, on the train track, you know, there's a gravel area. It's like a six feet of gravel area before you get to the actual tracks. Right, right. So I'm in that, so that the track is right across the street from my house. And so I go over in that gravel area and I'm just pacing back and forth on my phone. Um, and so I'm doing that and I see a cop. It's like 10 minutes to my conversation. I see a cop like on the opposite side of the street. It's a one way. He's coming towards me and then he, he stops and slow down, see what I'm, you know, see, I don't know, just like get a look of who's over there. And I see him speed, speed up to the next intersection and bust a U. And so I'm talking to my colleague, who was Peter Sokach. He's my producer at the time for um, Comcast Sportsnet Northwest, which is now NBC Sports Northwest. Mm-hmm. Uh, I said, hey, Peter, this cop is coming over, coming over. So, you know, stay on the phone. Basically, a cop comes right in front of my house, pulls the high, you know, flash the high beams on me from his car, steps out the car asked me, what am I doing over here? I'm like, my house is right here. I'm on the phone talking. He's like, well, you're trespassing. I'm like, trespassing? Yeah, this is just private property. I'm like, all right, well, 
my house is right here, so I'll go back over here. No, give me your ID. Give me your ID. I'm like, for what, officer? What are you talking about, my ID? Give me your ID. Give me your ID. And so I'm at, you know, pull out my ID. Like three more cops come over. I'm like, officer, is this really serious? My house is right here. I'm just on the phone. Why are you getting agitated? Sit down on the curb. Sit on the curb. I'm like, sit down on the curb. In front of your house. In front of my house, man. And look, my wife and kids, they don't know what's going on. All they know is I went outside to, you know, to talk. So they, you know, all this is going on outside. They, they have no clue. So the dude, you know, sits me down on the curb. And I'm like, man, y'all are tripping over, over, you know, over me walking across the street from my house on the phone. And I still, he was like, you know what? That's enough. We're arresting. I'm like, for what? For trespassing. You're on private property. I'm like, what? And so he grabs my hand and my phone, because I'm still on the phone with Peter. He's listening. My phone drops on the ground. And I yell to Peter. Peter, call my wife, call my wife, let her know. And so this is the part where things could have really got bad because I'm not the most flexible person. So the cop is putting my arms back to handcuff me and I'm not that flexible. And so as he's handcuffing me, he's telling me, stop resisting, stop resisting, like pushing me like that, stop resisting. And I'm like, bro, do your job. Nobody's resisting, man, do your job. That was his way of trying to agitate me to try to get me to do something else. And so he puts me in the car, put me in the back seat, and he gets in the front seat. And he asked me, what do you do for a living? I'm like, I'm an NBA reporter. He's an NBA reporter, huh? And so he's in the front seat, right? And he pulls out his cell phone. He pulls out his cell phone, goes to Google, looks up who I am. Then he was like, huh? And then he turns up the music of the the car on, on stereo. Turns it up high, blast it high, where I can't hear anything but the music. And he steps outside and goes on, gets on his phone. What, whatever he said on his phone, I, I don't know. I can imagine he said, hey, whoever talking to a superior, hey, I picked up such and such. And, and we fucked up. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, ba- yeah basically, basically. But <laughs> at, the, at this point, he couldn't do it. You couldn't turn back. Like, you got you to gotta, you gotta take me in. And so my wife finally comes out. And um, she had, what, what did you have in your hand, babe? She Okay. So remember, we were just, we just moved in and my wife right. had a drill and she was oh drilling God. holes, you know, to put pictures up and all that stuff. So when she got the call from Peter that, hey, they're arresting Chris, he's outside. She runs out. She has the drill in her hand. And you guys know oh. a drill late at night, you yeah, know what that can look like. So she runs outside. And luckily, she, like, remembers, like, damn, I got this drill. And she throws the drill in the bush before she gets over there. So just, like, little things like that. Just imagine she comes over there with the drill in her hand just to see what her husband is up to. And so she goes over there asking what's going on. And officer said, we're taking him in. He trespassed. She's like, trespassed? She's like, dude, you got to stop this. Let him out right now. They took me, dude, they took me in. I didn't get out till about. Three in the morning, you know, they had my mug, mug shot, had a mug shot. Like Portland has this Portland um, city database of like people who get booked on a daily mm-hmm. basis. I can't remember the name of that website, but they had my mug shot up, up there like I was a real criminal. And uh, I was stressing because I'm like three years into my career at that point. And I'm like, I don't know how you guys feel about this, but, you know, when a black person has a mug shot, People automatically assume you're guilty. People automatically assume you did something. 
Well, I'll say mm-hmm. most people automatically assume that. Mm-hmm. So I feared for my career at that point, and I didn't do a damn thing, but stay, but was walking in front of my house. So long story short, uh, took the officer to court. I won everything. The judge sided on me for you know everything. Said I had no right to um, be arrested and all that stuff. So you know I won. You know I was cleared of all doing blah blah blah. But the point was, it never should have gotten to that point. It could definitely have escalated because that cop did try to escalate things. And I wrote about that experience when I was in Cleveland, uh, like maybe a year or two later. And I never and I and I didn't put that cop's name in my story. And uh, at some point, no, no, at some point I I, I am like soon because, um, you know, I thought about suing when it when it first happened. I thought about suing the 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 police. I started by suing the, um, the city, you know, Portland police. But I felt like if I sued, this is big news around there. Reporter sues police. And I just didn't want, like, I was just concerned about my career because I was just starting, you know what I mean? Right. But, like, I don't, I don't give a damn now. But, uh, but to answer your question, I tell that story to answer your question. You said, what do I think about? I think about that could have been, you know, that could have been me easily, easily been uh-huh. me. It probably was supposed to be me if I would have acted up in the way that they wanted me to. Damn. I, I knew about that story. I didn't know the details of that story. Um, so thank you for sharing. Um, so yeah, I just, I, yeah, it, it just feels like a day to day thing at this point where you just, now it feels like the best defense against this is, is this, it's a, it's a camera phone. Like mm. that's the best defense. That's the best way to expose it. And I mean, we're even seeing people on officers on camera doing it. You know, like they don't even care anymore. Like they know it's going to be on social media, and they don't care. Yeah, and you know what? And and it, it, it's not it's not that it's been an uptick on racial profiling or uptick in uh, people of color savagely getting beaten or in a lot of cases killed, murdered. Um, it's just we have that phone, just like you mentioned. You know, the phone is revealing that this stuff goes on, you know, for a long yeah. time, you know, we've always complained, you know, I still don't feel comfortable around cops. Really. I, I, I really don't never have. And I, I certainly most, most did, you know, didn't feel that good after my incident. And that wasn't the, that wasn't the first incident, you know? So, um, it, it's tough, man. It, it's tough. You know, I, I respect law enforcement. You have a job to do and there's no doubt about it. You know, when, situations have come up you know there's been times where my family have had to call 911 but you know to say that there's a gap in the relationship between people and color police officers you know that I mean that that's a that's an understatement um they have to get better you know there has to be better police and there has to be policemen have to know and get to know the community that they serve and I would like that um I would hope that you know a lot of the people that's in the community um, go into law enforcement, you know, to serve your community. You know, I'm not, you know, I'm not against the police for it. I just think, man, with the way that people of color get treated, and a lot of times you, it's a lot of times you get, they're getting treated that way by people who aren't used to being around black people. You know what I'm saying? Right. Like I yeah. was at this, I was at this, um, right. And no, 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 it's no disrespect, you know, like with the, um, the protests and marches that's going on. Like I went to a march here in Fremont. Mm-hmm. Um, California, and it's largely being ran by young 
black people, like 23 and younger, like organizing these marches. And they're getting good numbers. But there's a lot, a lot of white support, like a lot. It was majority, you know, white people. And it was great to see. I've never been in a, I've never been, I've never seen anything like that. And as we've been seeing it, it's, this is happening across the country. But mm-hmm. what I'm noticing is that, uh, you know, we always get taught the rules of how to engage police. You know, when you get pulled over, have your hands up. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Let, let, the, let the police see, officers see your hands, let them know you don't have any uh, guns, you're not reaching for anything like that. And, you know, so there's just a, and the way you, that you talk, you know, yes, sir. You know, you know, you try to keep, keep the conversation civilized. You try to, you do as less as possible right. to make sure that you're, to make sure you're not seen as a threat. Even though to a lot of police officers, by the color of your skin, you're, you're viewed as a threat. Right. But, you know, you see, and it's funny, you know, I'll see cops. You know, you look at cops, the TV show Cops every now and then. And certain times, you know, a white, uh, when, when a, a white person is pulled over, they're cussing the police out. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, what the F you pulled me over for? This is stupid <laughs> F and blah, 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 whatever. And so I've always seen that. And I'm like, damn, like if I did that, boy, that might be my last conversation. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> on, on this yeah. earth. And, but but I, brought all that, I brought all that to say is that, you know, we're marching out here. And a lot of white people that's marching, they're saying, F the cops. You know, we're walking right past them. Because, you know, the cops are barricading areas off so we can walk. Uh And so we're walking and they're holding cops. F the cops. If you got a gun, you're a B. You know what I mean? Just all this (laughs) like. And I'm like, damn, like, hold on. This is a Black Lives Matter march. And I appreciate the support. But that type of rhetoric is not going to help us. But Uh at the same time, like you said, that's the way that they, they've always been able to communicate with cops that way. They've always been able to say things like that. Uh-huh. And you have to understand, you, have, you can't, the message can't be interrupted by rhetoric like that because you don't want the narrative like when somebody's writing a story. You know, somebody probably write the story of the Fremont, the Fremont March was filled with people cussing at the police, saying this. Well, that's not us because, you know, yeah. you know people of color, we don't, we don't do that. You know what I mean? We can't, we can't say that. You know what I'm saying? You know, lives are in jeopardy. You know, you start disrespecting the cops and saying things like that. And so, you know, I just hope that, you know, people understand, like, when we're coming together, you're coming together in the name, name of peace. But no, no doubt about it, I love the fact that all people of all walks of life are protesting for one common cause, and it's our cause. And that has, ne- my lifetime, I've never seen that. Did you get a talk from your parents when you grow up about this, about, you know, how to treat cops, you know, with respect? Because you sort of, you're you're behind, you're behind because they they always judge you by the color of your skin. All the time, man. Most black people have grown up, you know, getting that talk, you know, men, women, boys, girls, you have to, it's a survival, uh, it's a survival tactic, um, you're already going to get approached, you know, you know, like, like what I'm, you know, like my situation I had, when I got arrested, I had a tank top on, um, and some basketball shorts. And I want to say some sandals, maybe just some, some running shoes or whatever, but you know, they came up, he had, this officer had a, he, from what I look like, I look like this so-called thug, maybe, maybe I was out, looking like I'm selling drugs or whatever, whatever. I fit whatever the profile he has in mind for a criminal, period. 
And that was it. And so he came up automatically assuming I was this criminal figure and not knowing good and well uh, what it is I actually did. And what I actually did for a living has really has no bearing on the type of person he is, but he came up with a preconceived notion. And so, yeah, you have to have that, um, you have to have that talk. You, you know, I tell, you know, I tell my girls this all the time as well, even for them. Um, but had, had I been like F you to the cop and doing all this now I have a right. Cause I was, I'm not going to say raising hell, but I was asking questions. Why are you asking me to sit on this curb? Why am I not able to go across the street? You know, you can just tell me I'm in a private property, which um, I don't believe, but you can just tell me the private property, go, go back to the house. And I would have did so. Why are you asking for my ID? Why am I sitting on the curb? Why are there four or five other police officers cars coming over? You know what I mean? I can ask those questions, but you know, I, I did it in a respectful way, but you know, the, the main thing about it, they wanted to get me in that cop car, arrest me, and then figure out who I was, see if I had any warrants or anything. Once they didn't find that out, they knew they made a mistake, but it was too damn late at that point. I feel like uh, a bunch of this is, like we've seen a couple examples too on social media where people being profiled, but there are some that know their rights and know the, you know, the wordplay to get out of such situations because cops try to trick you with some wordplay, like you said, agitate you, bait you into things. And then once they find like an educated person that they know they can't mess with or someone who knows the wordplay, so to speak, mm -hmm. um, they sort of back off. Like I saw a video yesterday of some guy in front of his house, I think putting Black Lives Matter, I think that's what it was. And um, cops were trying to say, what are you doing? You're holding a camera or something like that. Um, and he was like, it's not against the law. They were like, it's against policy. And he's like, well, it's not against the law. And so there's a small wordplay like that where they try to get people. Yeah. And it's like, is your point to protect or is it to, to like just find people, like poke at people and try to get something out of it? You know what I mean? It's all scare tactics, right? They're all yeah, just trying to scare the go. shit out of you so you don't say anything and you just kind of comply, right? Yeah. And, and most people look, you know, most people are not educated on the law and not that's the problem yeah yeah not educated on their rights and what they have and i'm not saying i'm the most educated person but i, I know good and well i shouldn't be getting getting arrested for talking on the phone right, right. in front of my house yeah that's bullshit i mean yeah, come on can this can they see on your license that your address is right across the street or had you not changed it you said you just moved I, yeah it still it wasn't changed at that point because um yeah i had just moved i had just moved over there but okay. you know come one, one knock on the door. My wife is home. Okay, you know, it, it wasn't hard. If he really wanted to know, you know, that, but that wasn't the, the point was uh, he, he thought he had somebody and you know how, you know, how certain situations are. They, you know, they pull you over for something small, minor, right? Just to get your ID to see if, you know, see if you're somebody with warrants or something like that. You mm -hmm. know, that, that's, that it was one of those situations. I want to move on to some. Hold on, I got a question. How many oh, stories did you miss out on from from that time till three o'clock when you got? No, out? I didn't. I did. I didn't miss out on any stories because I, it, you know, that that incident happened around ten something, and I got out like around three that morning. Uh -huh. So it, yeah, no, nothing happened. Nothing happened that night. Yeah. Okay. okay. Um, more to some some of your sports writing career. I want to ask you, what was the biggest sort of most challenging moment for you in sports writing? Uh, you know, whether it's news breaking, sports writing, what was the most challenging moment for you? Well, one of the most challenging moments off the top of my head was um, writing um, off of the end of a game deadline. 
So when I was in Portland covering the Blazers, I didn't have too many end-of-the-game deadlines. The end-of-the-game deadlines are basically when the game is over, you got 600, 700-word story ready. Mm-hmm. And uh, that was tough. And that was tough for me to um, get used to. I will say the person who helped me with that, prepared me for that, was Mark Spears. He was like, okay, now you're going from strictly website writing to now the Cleveland Plain Dealer, which is, you know, website and newspaper. Right. So you got to adjust. And I remember the summer league going to Cleveland. Spears put me on an assignment where I would just watch. And I didn't really want to do it because I didn't feel like watching. I was I was there to cover the Blazers. <laughs> but he was like, watch some obscure summer league game and write a story. And so I did that like three times. I wrote a story and had that story ready and done by the end of um, by the end of the game. And so that helped me. That helped me. But that and still, but once I got to Cleveland, I had to learn different, you know, style of writing for the paper. And um, so that was that was tough. That was challenging because things change. Like people are, first of all, I, I could care less who wins the game. I don't root for anybody. I have no rooting interest whatsoever. But when you're writing the end of a game story type deadline, you kind of start rooting for whoever's in the lead at that time. You know what I mean? Right. Like it may be the yeah. third quarter. Yeah. Like if they got a significant lead, <laughs> let's keep that lead so I ain't got to mess my story up. Now I ain't got to yeah. change things because that's the worst. It's like one team can have the game in, in, under control for 44 of the 48 minutes, right? Mm-hmm. And so you got four minutes left. The story is good. You got everything. You got little anecdotes in there and all that stuff. And then – like that, the game just changed. And it's like, what just happened? You know, and so you got like a few minutes to alter the majority of your story. I used or, to hate that. Or overtime. Or overtime. Oh, I hate but, overtime. But, hate, hate overtime. But look, overtime. but even with overtime, it gives me enough time. I got enough five minutes. To, to I got adjust enough, it? Yeah, enough five yeah. minutes to adjust. Uh-huh. But when it's like a close game, those close games is like, dang, I can't. It's tough, man. I I could I hated that. Man. Yeah, I hate recaps. I'll, I hate I'll, I'll give you I'll give you I'll give you one. Most recently, I think you were there too, Chris. But I don't, you weren't doing the stories at, at the time. Um, game two, Clippers Warriors. By halftime, I had a good chunk of my story written. Warriors go up thirty three. I'm like, all right, we're done here. Clippers going down 0-2. Let's just let's just finish this out. Fourth quarter, they're down ten. I'm like, all right, but it's the Warriors. KD yeah. staff, they're gonna close it out. Yeah. I don't remember where that story went, but it wasn't what I had. <laughs> it was just – it changed dramatically within man, minutes. Those are the worst, man. Those are the worst. You have to all – you got to be prepared. You know, you just hate. Like, that's that's the only time I have a rooting interest. Like, I'm rooting for this story. Just to get to the stay game. stay the over. same. Yeah, that's it. Yeah. Well, which team – did you have a team you rooted for growing up at all? Yeah, uh, the Warriors, actually. But I was a – I wouldn't even say the Warriors. I was a big Latrell Sprewell fan. And so uh-huh. when the Bulls, you know, everybody liked Mike, like Mike and the Bulls. So, I, you know, I was no different. But when Mike went to retirement the first time, went and played baseball, I live in Fresno, California, born and raised, and we would get all the Warrior games. And the Warriors were horrible back then. But Sprewell was the closest to me that I seen in Jordan. He had the ball head. He was a shooting guard, 6'5", six, 6'6". Six, six, and I just – I watched all the games because the games came on every every single every single day. Mm-hmm. 
And so I, I was a big Latrell Sprewell fan, big Latrell Sprewell, more Sprewell fan than the Warriors because I ended up following Sprewell when he went to the Knicks, when he went to Minnesota. And I think that was it. Yeah, Warriors, Knicks, and Minnesota. And so, um, yeah, that's, that's, who I, that's who I rooted for growing up. You know what my yeah. favorite Sprewell highlight is? Can you not, guess? Not the, not the choking highlight. No. <laughs> that's more of a low light, but go ahead. <laughs> the Magic Johnson ball fake. Oh, that, that's, that's, a, that's a low light. That's, that's a low light. But it was legendary, you got to admit. That was magic. That's when he returned. When he was like, like a Yeah, he was a little bigger. But he had that little he, fake Sprewell. Sprewell went that way. Went up. Went finished with the layup. Sprewell oh, oh, bit. He man. bit so hard. Man. Yeah. He, I, he had some highlight dunks, though, man. Those two-handers over He the was head. a tomahawk. He was the first yeah. guy to come. And, that's, and to me, so I'm a – Sprewell has small hands. And I have small hands. I never – like, I could – so when I was dunking in high school and college, you know, I'm a two-hand dunker. I'm a two-hand dunker because I couldn't yeah. grip the ball. I can't grip the ball. So in order for me to dunk with one hand, I have to elevate over the rim and come down yeah. and flush it. You know what I mean? And that's what Sprewell did. Whenever he – he would rarely dunk with one hand. But when yeah, that's he did, funny. I, I never thought about that before now. But yeah. Spree can't palm the ball. Same, same with me. I came upon the ball. I was always a two-hand dunker. So, you know, most people, like, when you're, you're coming up, when you're 14 and 15, you're just starting to dunk for the first time. Most people, obviously, they dunk with the one hand first. I never could do that. I just yeah. – I had to make sure my hops were – got to a point yeah, where I was dunking too. Can you remember the first time you dunked somewhere? Yep. Boys and uh, Girls Club. <laughs> the summer of um, 95. So, it was my – no, summer of 96. Summer of 96, freshman year going to my sophomore year. That summer, my first dunk. It was a two-hand dunk, Boys and Girls Club. Oh, man, so I was going to say, I'm, 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 I'm surprised you got – because a lot of people – a lot of kids try to go for the one-hander right away. But you went – you made sure you had enough bounce to get, to get two-hand couldn't. I couldn't take the ball up with me. I couldn't. Like, most people know how to, like, even balance the ball, like, as they're about going to take their and stride then, yeah. and then do that. I couldn't control it still to this day. Like, I can't control that ball. So, I've always, like, when I do dunk with, with one hand, I'll go up with two, and then I'll come down like that. You mm -hmm. know what I mean? But I was always, yeah, I was always two, <laughs> two hand dunking. I never – I could grab rim, and the only way I could get close is by putting it on my fingertips, like right here, to try and just get it over. Yeah. But it always went flying that way. You right, never like, got it over once? No, man. I needed, like, another yeah. inch or two. All right, man. Keep trying, man. Don't give up. No, my, my, <laughs> I think yeah, those my... days are gone. Dude. <laughs> <laughs> those days are gone. Um, I think the most I got was just grabbing rim. You know, you know when, you, when, you, when you have enough bounce, but not enough to get it in, so you're just you're throwing the ball at the back of the rim and it just bounces off? Yeah. That's what it was yeah. for me. That's what yeah. I, I could never get up high enough. No, I uh, remember those days, man, when you were younger, eighth grade, like, to even do that, to what you're talking about, to even like just when you're doing that, you can't. You're not high enough to get over, but it looks like like yeah. oh, you're almost done. Yeah, yeah. yeah you got like, so I'm much there. praise. Yeah, eighth grade, ninth, maybe even ninth grade. Like, damn, oh, you almost dunked that. You know what I mean? But then once you start getting older, it's like, all right, come on, put the ball in now. Come on. Yeah, yeah. I'd be more afraid of landing now than I would be going up. Like, oh, yeah, oh, man, my knees, my knees are just going to buckle and explode by the time I get down. I'm right there with you, man. I'm right there with you. <laughs> um, Chris, what's your, what's your most favorite moment covering sports, covering the NBA? 
Uh, favorite moment covering sports. You know what? Just just to be able to add another level of diversity into the profession. Um, you know, coming up, I didn't see. There's just even still, there's there's not a lot of there's not a lot of people that look like me um, covering the NBA. You know, there's some. You know, we can name some, but if you look at the the vast majority. Uh, sports writers they they don't look like myself and um mm-hmm. I, I just wanted to um add a layer i just felt like you know who who what better who can tell our stories better than than us um mm-hmm. the flight of uh you know so when i was in portland uh when i first covered the league my first time walking in the locker room i would look at the player media interactions Mm-hmm. And I would see, like, when they open the locker room up, I would see how the players will exit to the training room. And I know you, you know, you know how that that yeah. goes with, with the Clippers yeah. and the Lakers. <laughs> and I, I saw that coming in. That was like the first thing I saw. Like, damn, they don't want to be bothered. And I was like, why is that? And I just kept watching, observing, and I would see that when certain media members walk in the locker room, they walk in the locker room and just go straight to a player and put a mic in their face. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's like okay. It's like these guys are human beings, man. You know what I mean? They're they're going through real life human problems and issues that we go through. They're treat them like human beings. You know what I mean? So I started, you know, going, you know, going in there, and I would just have a conversation off the record. I ain't put no mic. Hey, how's the family doing? How's the kids? What's going on? You know what I mean? Just talk, build right, a relationship. Right. Because first of all, if you don't have hold a on, relationship Chris, with the- hold on. I need a notepad. Need a notepad. Oh man, come on, man, come okay. on, man. Right. This, this ain't keep going. This, this ain't gospel, man. This ain't Bible. Now I'm just no, I'm but just I I know exactly what you're talking about, though. And Tomer yeah. does too. Like these guys, they kind of have a a wall up, right? Yeah. You, they they all get, have they have a wall up for sure. They, they get and, in the um, scrums, and all the personalities are different. And then yeah. you got the guys who just don't give a shit, and they're. Da, 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 and then they want to get out, right? They, they don't get out. And I, I didn't want, you know, I didn't want my interactions to be like that. You know, of course you can't stop all interactions from being like that, but I just, you know, when having com- casual conversations with them, you know, talking with them, getting to know them, you know, that's it. And so when, then, then when it got to the point where I did need something from them on record, not only would they give me something, but they'll give me some gold, like give me some yeah. gold quotes that are just going to blow up. And that happens because they have a relationship with you. And and, right. and they know that I'm not just all about coming to them, trying to get something, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like it, it's deeper than that. And so, um, you know, that's, that's what, to answer your question, that's, that's what I've always strived to do. And that's the way I, that's why I always done my job. I noticed that this year with uh, the Lakers locker room, um, you know, it's been crazy, right? You've mm-hmm. seen how crazy that thing is right now. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I was walking in and uh, Danny Green was walking by me or something and walking by all these people. You come in and you guys are like dapping up and I'm like, holy shit. Like Danny Green, none of us were there. You come in and you guys are like, look like you're close friends. Yeah, it's it's different. Like, and it's not even a race thing. You know what I'm saying? No, no, but a minute. You built that relationship. No, no, that's the point. No, that's the point. No, what I'm I'm saying that because, you know, I know there's a lot of people in, in Oregon when I first got there, because I was the only person of color in the media over there. Oh, the really? So I know it was probably some that was like, oh, he's just doing that because he's he's black and, you know, he's not doing his job. He's buddy-buddy with the with the players. And no, nah, like, 
that's for anybody of any race. When you get to know somebody, like, why wouldn't Danny, if he knows you, y'all have conversation, why wouldn't Danny come and stop and say what's up to you? You know, it has nothing to do with race or anything. It's just that you guys have a relationship. You know what I mean? He he know he can trust you Mm -hmm. to a certain extent. Uh Why wouldn't he stop? And that's the point. I think people do a bad job of trying to establish relationships. Another thing, too. Some people just don't know how to establish relationships. Some people it's, don't know how to, especially in this in social media era, like people don't know how to have face-to-face interaction or the conversation. Well, so yeah, I, don't, I don't blame players for not trusting a lot of us, right? Because sometimes stories just fly right back in their face and it turns out to be kind of a stain on their resume, right? For whatever we said or, or twisted what, or it was just misconstrued. You know what I mean? It happens, all, it happens every day. So I don't yeah, blame them for having these walls up and stuff. But uh, yeah, it happens every day. But you know, sometimes these players say some things that they don't think is going to garner that type of outrage, and it, and it does. So yeah, they have to take some onus on you know themselves. It's not all it's not all reporters. <laughs> no, no, it's tr- I, that's true. But I do think that makes the the relationship building process difficult, right? No, I get you. There's only no, been a honestly, few players that I've I've been cool with where I've been like, wow, that's a genuine guy. Like Nick Young, I loved Nick Young. Uh, go. Yeah, he was awesome. It was like, <laughs> yeah. you know, um, it was always a pleasure. But I think it, I think my first year covering the league was I think uh, sixteen seventeen I want to say, or fifteen sixteen. I don't know what year it was, but the Clippers played the Jazz, and I just I didn't know much of anything. I just people just go up with the mic and I'm like, all right, just go up with the mic and let's get the interview done, mm-hmm. and then and then it didn't feel right though. Like I'm like I'm not here to just do this like I want to you know learn from them talk to them be not buddy not necessarily buddy buddy but you know the last thing I figured they want to talk about is basketball because they talk about it all the time Mm -hmm. so ask about like you said family cars what they like to eat uh just random stuff like that uh and the next season it really helped me like just just to get more more players knowledge like you know get insight on the team later on uh it's just it's just and it's less robotic and that all right interview done see you tomorrow interview done see you tomorrow it's, just, it's more it's more human um you know for, i i was always i always thought Kawhi leonard was sort of like they call him the terminator robot stuff like that mm-hmm. and um he's there's an intimidation factor in talking to him i think for people who aren't as big um i know chris you you've had a couple so you guys are probably cool but you know i walked up to Kawhi a couple times this year and i was like you know hey uh did, did you know Charles Barkley called you the Terminator. We, we joked about uh, being called a robot and not being on social media. And we talked about food. And I showed him uh, there was a play where he passed to Paul George. And Paul George took like five steps and dunked. And I showed him that play. And he laughed. And I was like, oh, so this guy's like, he's human. It's just, it's sort of just, you, you got to break through that wall. Um, because I think, yeah, like, like Ryan said, every player has that wall up. And no one wants to talk basketball the whole time. You got to be mm-hmm. different. So, um, yeah. yeah, I think that's what I learned in my first couple of years. So, definitely echo that. Um, speaking of, of, of Kawhi, though, I think you were the one to break that news in the offseason. Um, take us through that night because there was a major earthquake that night. Zion Williams' debut was going down in Summer League. That was the most packed I've ever seen Summer League. Yeah. Uh, and then 10, I want to say 10.53 Pacific, uh, boom, you tweet out Kawhi's going to the Clippers. Yeah. Well, I didn't know it was going to be that day. Um, I actually thought it was going to happen the next day. Yeah, I mean, who breaks news? I mean, a news like that at ten fifty, you know, that's <laughs> shit, that's one o'clock, you know, some on the East Coast, and so 
you know, I was there. I was sitting front and center for Zion Williamson's game. He looked great. Ripped the ball from uh, what's that? The Knicks. Kevin, Kevin Knox, Knox, I think. Yeah. Man, he he put on the show. Uh, then he sit out the second half. He got. I think he did. He yeah. Hurt. Yeah. Yeah. Um. So my night was done. Like my night was over. That I believe that was the last game of the night. My night was over. So I go to the hotel, shower up. I was going to meet some colleagues uh, for a late dinner. And then uh, I think I got the shower in my room. And so I get a text, a text from a very reliable source saying Kawhi to the, to the Clippers. And I'm like, whoa, hold on, hold on. So <laughs> this, this source I've worked with before, yeah. so I trust him. I know he's good. But still, I had to, like, if this, if this, if this source gave me a story before in the past, I, I'm not even asking a follow-up. I'm like, Thank you. Uh-huh. I'm going on. I'm going to report. But for this story, for this particular story, and the time it was, I'm like, hold on, hold on. Kawhi's going to the Clippers. And remember, like for reporting purposes, like this little time and going back to follow up, like All this is time. Like yeah. you don't know. Like every second counts. You know what I'm saying? So, but I can't get this wrong. You know what I'm saying? I can't get this wrong. So I go. I'm like, hold on, hold on. You mean Kawhi is signing with the Clippers? Like that's done deal, correct? So that's all I needed, and I, the rest was history. I I told my boss real quick, "Hey, Edward, I'm about to tweet this real quick, but let's get this story going." And that's the way it, you know that's the way it went. And you know that earthquake had just happened. I oh, so I don't th- I don't think that Zion game was the last game that night because I went to the next gym. What's the next gym? That's the um the small pavilion. Pavilion. Yeah. So I go over there. I was actually in there when um everything was shaking so i started like damn so i oh that's yes right i left i left early because it was shaking i was like man i'm not gonna be around here with all these things falling yeah. on my head. like <laughs> I'm, I'm getting out here so that's what happened and then um i was in my hotel room and that, that's when it uh, that's when it happened so obviously i had to um change my dinner plans Did, couldn't go out to dinner that night I had to break that store um and right but uh that was a big one because nobody, nobody seen that because mostly, you know, that was that Man, there was so much misinformation. It was, and that that was what I was about to hit on. Is like, you know, I've covered, you know, I broke some big stories, some stories that people really didn't know where that player was going. But that one in particular, he was going to the Lakers. He canceled out the Lakers. He was going back to Toronto. He was like, it was so much misinformation that. I was just relieved, you know, I was relieved just to have it over with, you know? So, um, that was, uh, that was a crazy night for sure. Yeah. I I can't imagine what it must've been like because selfishly, like, you know, the Clippers weren't a contender before Kawhi and selfishly for my career, I was like, all right, if Kawhi comes here, this will be big, you know, for Ryan Lakers, Clippers, the the battle for LA, it'll be huge. So selfishly, Mm -hmm. I wanted him here. But I'm like, there's so much out there, you know, with fake insiders on Twitter. Because remember, we thought for at least, I think, about a week that he was coming to, to the Lakers for sure, right? Yeah. Like, there's multiple people it saying it. Deal, yeah. It was just a matter of time, right? Lakers thought and that then just happened. I, I, bet they, I bet they were pissed. <laughs> so, so safe to say that before it came out, you – I mean, obviously, you, you heard all the different opinions and news, but you thought he was going to the Lakers? No, I thought it would either be going back to Toronto or the Clippers. I didn't 
you know, knowing, knowing Kawhi the way I did, I didn't um, – You didn't buy him playing with LeBron? And I couldn't see him joining LeBron. No, I couldn't. Mm-hmm. I couldn't. Why? And, you know, I think you, you really have to consider Lakers. Like, you really – you know, just the, the history and, you know, LeBron being there, knowing that you're going to compete for a championship, you know, during the remaining years of his contract with the Lakers. So that has to be enticing. And I would probably say, I would probably say I thought, I never said this at the time, but I probably thought he was going back to Toronto at that time. You know what I mean? Because even though the Clippers were doing everything over the last five or so years to clean up the, the bad image left by the previous owner and just cleaning things up getting themselves set uh, to get a new arena, just building getting the right pieces. It's like, but we still never seen somebody, a big free agent, diss the Lakers and go to the Clippers. Right. <laughs> you know right. what I mean? Yeah. It was so, pretty unprecedented. Yeah. And so that was why, that was, that was really hard for me to really fathom because it's never happened. Right. And so I think that's why I thought um, he'd probably go back to Toronto. But then even crazier, Paul George right after it. Like, right after yeah, it was right after. I broke really? that. And, uh, I think Woes got Paul George maybe five minutes later or so, something like that. Yeah. yeah. Quit. <laughs> That's crazy. Crazy yeah. night. That was I remember somewhere was on cloud nine, like, finally, Clippers are relevant. So, so Chris, you probably don't know this, but I, I grew up a Clippers fan. Uh, okay. I've sort of lost some of that fandom as, as you watch basketball because, you know, you play fantasy sports, you, you watch basketball, you get to know these guys. You, you just you're just a fan of the sport in general, uh, yeah. I think, and so, but like I said, for for selfish reasons, for for my own career, I was like, you know, if Kawhi comes here, that'd be great, It'd be great mm-hmm. to cover the Clippers, um, and so yeah, once it did, I was like, oh boy, it's gonna be a battle for LA. We started our podcast right after that, and uh, yeah, it's it's been great, it's been crazy. Perfect uh, timing, man. Is 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 that the, your most favorite piece that you've broken? Because I recall one of my personal favorites of yours was. I want to say it was Gordon Hayward, mm-hmm. whatever, whatever the, whatever the Hulk Hogan uh, yeah. tweet was, whatever right. that was, I think it was Gordon Hayward. No, I think that one probably is. Yeah. I think that Gordon Hayward one was the most you, gratifying. You, was you wanna, that, did you report that? And then, and then it was Players Tribune right well, after. Well, let's let Chris, Chris, Chris tell, tell the story on this one. Because I, I know Chris is a good story to tell on this one. <laughs> I do? How, how you know that, man? <laughs> I mean, I mean, I, I may, I may I may have heard from sources, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you, know, so, you know how the sources be. <laughs> I was with ESPN at the time, and um, let me see. And so I was hearing rumblings. So it was July 4th. It was July 4th. So we, we pretty much, you know, all the insiders pretty much knew that he was going to make his decision on that day. And so that morning I was hearing, like, man, Boston is, like, I was reporting days leading up. Boston feels good about their chances. I mean, you can Google that and, and see it. I was on SportsCenter saying that. Um, I mean, I was just hearing that morning. I'm like, man, people are saying he's Boston bound. But I'm like, all right. But it's, these are not people directly connected to him. And so I'm like, all right, all right. I'll just keep working it. And then um, I got a text. So I got a text that. Man, it was like one o'clock, something like that. Afternoon, got a text that he's indeed going there. And then, you know, there are sources that you have that these are like gold sources. Automatic. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like these are gold. Then there are sources that you get that you have to do some more digging. They give you a lead. 
This was one of those sources. Boom. And so I, I go. I go with it. Gordon Hayward, Boston, right? So to me, it's over. You know, it's done. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So we're moving on. Like, I'm moving on to the next story I'm trying to break, next free agent I'm trying to get. Then um, then uh, Mark Boston, who I love, I love his agent. You know, he comes out. I think he goes through, he goes through Woj and said that it's not, it's not a done deal. No, it's not. Gordon hasn't made a decision yet. He hasn't made a decision yet. And so once that happened, once that got out, so for the next four or five hours, however long it was, I'm getting killed. I'm getting ripped. Oh, you ain't, you know, you ain't, you liar, fake news, blah, blah, blah. Then, you know, the, the, even the jazz, like all the, especially the jazz Celtics and um, who in the Miami heat. Cause those were the three teams that were his finalists. They were all their fans was killing me. And I'm like, I didn't say anything. I knew that Gordon wanted to break it through the, um, the players tribute. Uh-huh. And so um, I'm just like, there's no point in me. Like, I'm not this dude, like, getting on Twitter and going back and all that stuff. <laughs> That's not me. So I left it. I left it up. Left my story up. Wrote my story. Left it. That's it. And so I just waited. And uh, I remember I'm on the um, – I remember I'm on the phone with this uh, this jazz official. So it's like five hours go by. And the Jazz don't know what's going on. Miami, like, nobody knows what's going on. Like, everybody's just like, I can't believe this is happening. So I'm on the phone with a Jazz official. And so we're talking. And, you know, he's basically asking me, Chris, are you sure? I'm like, man, I reported what I reported. Sticking to it. That's it. You know, I'm not changing it. That's it. And so we're talking. And then I made sure I put the Players Tribune on my notifications. So whenever it drops something, I can just see it. So I'm on the phone with this jazz official and like, he's like kind of like stressing, like still in disbelief and still don't know what to believe. And so I get that notification while I'm on the phone with this official. And it was Gordon Hayward's story, why I chose the Celtics or something like that. And I was just like, yeah, I told you. Yeah, 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 I told you, I told you. I'm like on the phone with the dude, right? I say, told you, going to Boston, going to Boston. And so the dude was like, Chris. Are you Why? serious? You got to do it like that. You know, I'm like, oh, my bad. I'm like, no, my bad. No disrespect. My bad. My bad. I'm sorry. My bad. Um, yeah, but yeah, he just put it out. My bad. My bad. And so it was, uh, he was kind of mad how I, you know, yeah, you know, it was just, I was just relishing the moment. And that's when I got my, um, my Gordon Hayward. Uh, I mean, my Gordon Hayward, my um, Hulk Hogan meme and put that out, man. You know what I mean? Let everyone know. Let everyone know. Uh, Chris, you got anything you want to plug? Uh, anything at all? Nah, not really, y'all. Plug I mean, yourself. just uh, you know, to keep you know, continue to check out my 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 pod, my video pod. Uh, posted up with Chris Haynes. I got um, I got Dejounte Murray of the San Antonio Spurs coming up, and so uh, you know, that's about it, man. Just tune in to your boy. That's where, where can people where can people find you? They can find me on Twitter at Chris B. Haynes. They can find me on Facebook, Facebook page, Chris B. Haynes. And I believe my Instagram is at Chris B. Haynes NBA. So uh, just check me out, man. I appreciate y'all for having me on for sure, though. Of course. Thank you for coming on. We really appreciate taking the time, the stories. Um, 
Really, really great episode. I really appreciate that. Yeah. Um, as always, guys, uh, subscribe to the podcast wherever you guys get your podcast, whether it's uh, Apple, Spotify, Google Play, iHeart. We're all there. Uh, shoot us a five-star review. We got more guests for you guys. Obviously, we've got Chris Haynes this week. Um, working on a player next week, so we'll see how that works. But leave us a five-star review. Any comments or questions you guys got for us, leave them for us on Instagram, Twitter, or the review section as well. Uh, you can follow Ryan at Ryan Ward LA on Twitter, Instagram, YouTube, and TikTok now, I want to say. Yeah, I folded. I folded. TikTok. Oh. Chris, you get in TikTok game or no? Nah, man. Watch. Just a matter of time, Chris. Just a matter of time. You don't break news and, like, filters and everything. <laughs> <laughs> nah, I'll pass. Uh, as always, you, you can follow me at Tomer Zarly. That's T-O-M-E-R-A-Z-A-R-L-Y on Twitter and Instagram. Uh, getting on the, on the TikTok game slowly. Um, follow Clutch Points, uh, Blue Wire as well. And, uh, yeah, we hope you guys enjoyed this week, and we will catch you guys next time. Peace. Thanks again, Chris. All right. Y'all take care, boys. Thanks, man. Oh, for sure.